Hey everybody, this is James and Marco and Abel, and this is episode five of the Movie Pals podcast. Today, we're going to go over what we've been watching, some news, a topic provided by Marco, we're, then we're going to move into our review of Blade Runner, The Final Cut, and Stephen King's It, the original miniseries from 1990. Hey, what you watching? So James, what you watching? So actually, I did finally finish The Defenders. Nice. How and was that? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I finished it two nights ago, and I have to say that I'm a little disappointed. The show itself, I wish, had a better payoff. For anybody that doesn't know The Defenders, as we've talked about before, is the culmination of the Netflix Marvel shows, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. And I'd have to say that although it does give off kind of an Avengers vibe, it never hits a spot that I felt was a good payoff overall. Is it because it was just like... Because it is a grittier Avengers, of course. It's a much darker series as a whole. It, I would say it is. Um, and I've only seen the first six, seven episodes of it. I, I guess there's only eight, so yeah, I'm, I'm like almost right over So I've basically seen the whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to agree with James that it, it just never really reaches any climax throughout the entire show. And it sort of just flatlines right across. Oh. It starts off really well, and you think you're going to get that, uh, that, that payback for investing your time and watching the show, but you, you never do. Yeah, I was... Overall, it, there's still moments of it that I really enjoyed. There are some decent action sequences, but I'm hoping that eventually... I'm assuming there might be like a Defenders 2 kind of a s- season down the line. Hopefully by then the superheroes are more veteran about it and they kind of work out better. All right. Because there, there was so much to like... Two, three episodes are just really a big buildup, I want to say. Trying to get everybody connected. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I almost feel because there's only eight episodes, that takes away from what's going on. And they have to kind of create the scenario where this is like, well, this is why they're teaming up. Isn't and it weird <laughs> that it was only eight episodes? Because the other series are actually 13. Longer, right? They're all yeah. 13. 13. Yeah. It, it is weird, but I know they wanted to keep it tight. Because my complaint with a lot of the other Netflix Marvel shows is that there's so much filler in a lot of those. So there's times where there's two or three episodes in a row where it's like, what the hell happened? And I I was telling Marco earlier, too, when we, we were kind of discussing it off the pod, but maybe even just 10 episodes would have been nice because especially by the seventh or eighth episode when the Defenders is coming to its end, I felt like maybe it would have been better if there was more character development and something like a bigger issue over what they bring about. Right. I don't want to spoil it. So there's 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 a bit of a twist to it, but overall, it's okay. It's a decent show, but it's nothing to brag about. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and I know I'm sort of recanting my previous first impression of the show. Uh, keep in mind, at the time, I'd only watched the first three episodes, so I thought that the rest was going to sort of feed off of that experience and the show was going to move at a faster pace later on and have um, a, a bigger plot that would actually make you feel invested. But like James was saying, maybe the fact that it was only eight episodes and they could have extended it longer, that probably could have helped the show move along better and flow better too. It, just, it To me, it just sort of seemed like they just didn't know which direction to go with such a limited amount of time. I see. 
Well, that's disappointing. Yeah. What else have you been watching? Um, I watched two random movies. I went and watched another Nightmare on Elm Street. Just continuing my journey on <laughs> that. What number is that now? 18? Oh, <laughs> no. I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The nice. Dream Child. Uh, it was terrible. So, you've seen five now. So, yes. out of the first five that you've seen, how do you kind of like rank them? Um, I'd say the first one is still the best. Number three, The Dream Warriors, is probably second best. And all the rest just kind of blend together. Do you think this series has been better compared to the uh, Friday the 13th series? I know you that, haven't seen as many of the films, yeah. obviously, so. But so far, from so what seen. far, I don't know. Does it compare to Jason X? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fuck, man. I'd say between the two, it's a, two different types of slasher films. Friday the 13th is more traditional slasher. It's like the slasher Camp Klaus. It, it Camp started Klausers. off that way. Yeah. yeah, it does. And once again, this is only for some of them because there's, there's 10 of them. So a lot of them depend on what the storyline is, but a lot of those blend together too because the plot is very much the same with camp counselors or just hunting them down one by one. Right. While Friday Thirteenth is has more of a connected story, I'd say mm-hmm. compared to. Don't get me wrong, Friday the Thirteenth has a uh, connected story. I'm talking about Nightmare on Elm Street has more of returning characters, which is uncommon in Friday the Thirteenth. It only happens like <laughs> once. Or yeah, two, like actually three three times because yeah, yeah. of Tommy Jarvis, <clears throat> played by three different actors, and then there's more. I don't know. I guess because Nightmare on Elm Street has more of an arc, maybe people enjoy it. I don't. It's two different like yeah, apples and yeah. bananas, man. So do do you think they changed up the Friday the Thirteenth movies later on because they they added more of a supernatural element towards the end in order to answer to a Nightmare on Elm Street gaining popularity? I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, they they do add that from the seventh film, I want to say. Yeah, just out of nowhere. I want to say that's how, well. That's when um, <laughs> they really lost Friday Thirteenth gets weird yeah. when like yeah. they're like, never mind. He comes back from the dead because he gets spiked and hit by a lightning bolt. Right. It's like ridiculous. Um. Yeah, but the fifth Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't that great. I also watched um, a Spike Lee film called Mo Better Blues, which is a uh, from nineteen ninety. It's Classic. about uh, Denzel Washington plays a jazz musician that has some issues, basically. And it's it's like a drama. Young Denzel. Yeah, and I actually <laughs> I really liked it. Actually, it's really well done. It's typical Spike Lee film. Lots of uh, dialogue in between the actions and kind of like a character piece. I enjoyed that. Uh, the last thing I watched though, as well, was I went with. Our friend, Mikey, friend of the pod, also made our logo to see a early screening of Marvel's The Inhumans, which is a television show that's going to be premiering later this month on ABC. It's about the Inhuman mutants. or not, They're not really mutants. They're, they're called Inhumans. They're technically yeah. the Inhumans. They People, can't be mutants. Yeah, they're, it's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's about these... It's like... The royal... It's so hard to describe this fucking show. It's about, like, the royal family, which is ridiculous. It's a royal family that lives on the moon that have abilities. Yeah, am I losing everyone? (laughs) Anyways, I'm going to keep this one short. They're similar to mutants. There was a special screening of the first two episodes where you could see it in IMAX because the first two episodes were shot in IMAX. And it's not worth it. It was, like, 20 bucks to watch 80 minutes of... uh, of a show that's going to come out in three weeks. 
And the IMAX sequences were cool, don't get me wrong, but I don't I don't think it was worth going out to the theater to see because much like many shows, even the Defenders, the first two episodes a lot of time are a build up to what's going to happen. So imagine just getting to that and only seeing like one action sequence and then hoping you like it. Overall, like I said, I don't think it was worth it. Hopefully the uh, show really picks up steam after the first two episodes. Yeah. And builds on that lore. Well, I already watched a quarter of the season, so <laughs> we'll see where it goes. See where it goes. <laughs> How about you, Marco? What have you been watching? Um, what have I been watching? Saw a couple movies uh, on Netflix. The Babadook was one. Um, Dude, that's a scary one. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. Uh, the Babadook I recall. is a uh, 2014 Australian psychological horror directed by Jennifer Kent. Um, it stars Essie Davis and Noah Wiseman um, as mother and son. And basically, the mother is a widow and she has an overimaginative son who's experiencing, uh, and they start experiencing weird phenomena at home after reading a weird, scary pop up book called Mr. Babadook. Uh, the son claims that it's the monster, the Babadook, from the book that's causing the phenomena and the events to happen, but the mom thinks it's all in the kid's head um, due to sleepless nights because uh, of his overactive imagination. Um, and basically, Samuel, the son, is trying to prove to his mom that it actually is the monster, and the monster apparently gains more power the less you believe in him or the more you try to deny him. It's it's pretty scary at first the way they they, they slowly reveal the the Babadook because they they do it very subtly where you start to see like images in the background right. like clothing that kind of looks like him or some sort of shadow in the background that looks like him and it's like kind of looming throughout the movie until the final reveal and it's it it, it it fucks with your head a little bit which I I'm kind of into I know I mentioned in the, the last episode that I'm kind of into that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, I don't think that, uh, the ending is very good at all. Um, I think that that was the only thing that was a letdown for the movie. It was just sort of like out of left field. It didn't really make much sense. And, um, I felt that that was the only flat part of the movie. But aside from that, I liked it. I thought it was a pretty solid horror movie. And, you know, I'm a stickler for horror movies. I'm very, very picky about them. Uh, but I would recommend this if you're a huge horror movie fan, or even if you're just an avid, uh, or not an avid fan, but just a casual fan, I uh, check it out. It's streaming on Netflix right now. Yeah, it's actually uh, I actually did think it was pretty good as well, um, and I kind of agree that the ending was kind of like eh. But um, the way they kind of tease him out throughout the film just really makes you like uh, I don't know what this guy's about but he yeah. looks like he's gonna do something crazy <laughs> if he reaches his kid so yeah no, they I make agree. it ominous like he's like everywhere yeah Cause there's a scene it's not a spoiler where the mom actually goes to the police station because she thinks that maybe it's someone playing a prank on them and she sort of sees something in the background of the police station that right. presents an image of the Babadook and that kind of freaked me out and I know James was telling me that you're gonna be disappointed in the ending and I was like yeah ah, maybe he's overreacting but no, he was right. Yeah. Yep. The, yeah, I mean, it's because they build you up into the entire film. The payoff on that one, especially with what happens at the very end, it's kind of like where it's like, man, maybe it's not that scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. It, it takes away from a otherwise really solid horror film. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, The other movie I saw, which is also streaming on Netflix, is uh, the movie The Founder. And uh, that's a 2016 biopic directed by John Lee Hancock, who also did The Blind Side. And it stars uh, one of my personal favorites, Michael Keaton, the OG Batman from 89. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nick Offerman, John Carroll Lynch, and Laura Dern. So it's a pretty good all-star cast for the most part. And... Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc, who's known for buying out the McDonald's franchise from the original owners, Richard and Maurice McDonald, uh, played by Lynch and Offerman. Very loosely. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, turning it into the franchise juggernaut that it is today. And uh, the movie pretty much goes into the backstory on that and how it happened and how it pretty much wasn't uh, a a pretty (laughs) picture at all. So... um, That's a very interesting story, seeing about the McDonald's brothers and how they, you know, had the McDonald's basis foundation kind of set their standards. And then seeing a guy who knows how to capitalize on that and make money off of it and put it in a different direction and, you know, kind of go back and forth between tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, and what works and what's making them popular. And we got to make it profitable. Let's make some money. Let's move forward and see yep. those two worlds collide. I mean, it's Michael Keaton did a really good job. Nick Offerman did really good, I think, in that. Uh, yeah, world. like he was pretty made to be one of those brothers. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, I, I didn't expect him to do. I, I haven't seen him do anything serious. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, the only time I've ever really seen him is in uh, Parks and Rec, so which is a, a TV show that aired on I forgot what channel, but it's streaming on Netflix also. But anyway, uh, it was more of a comedic show and see Nick Offerman take on a serious role was uh, very interesting. Yeah. It's nice to see he could pull it off. But yeah, like you were saying, Bill, it's it's nice to see those the the collision between like wanting to keep something pure and then turning it into a profit and seeing how those ideas essentially like uh, just go against each other. But um as- aside from uh the kind of slightly depressing outcome um the acting the performance the story was great um i I highly recommend it if you're into these types of movies that um deal with real life uh stories that have happened um i know i do so streaming on netflix check it out if you can it's really good pick very nice so uh bill what have you been watching uh i've watched a few movies i haven't been watching too many shows uh because i was trying to catch up with you guys and watching the defenders so i've only gotten a couple of episodes in the on that um i watched the uh, morgan freeman movie uh and michael kane uh going in style it's about mm. um the three old guys that basically are not are, are being forced out of their jobs and out of their way <laughs> of life and find no alternative and decide you know what we're desperate. We don't know what how much more life we have left to live. So we're gonna rob a bank and try to set ourselves up. You this know, sounds so. like a Nabil movie. <laughs> so they're going out in style. Yeah, three it's, old guys past their prime. Nice. They're all in their eighties, by the way, in real <laughs> life. I I was very surprised. This movie came out uh, this year. I'm assuming it was filmed the last couple of years, and they were probably in their you know late seventies, early eighties. They do a lot of acting in there. I'm, I'm a little surprised at how much uh, how much was going on there. It was pretty funny, you know. It's uh, it's a classic kind of old guys kind of film, trying to rise above the the current world and and set their family up for life. Um, if you like those kind of you know comedies, then I'd say watch it. But it's 
there was nothing it didn't add anything new so it's nothing like anything that you'd be like oh i have to see this film if you're looking for something funny to watch basically how i landed upon it it was there pretty good cool um also watch the baywatch movie um <laughs> oh, what? i still want to see that yeah. i will tell you this um so the baywatch movie it has the rock and zach efron um playing uh as uh lifeguards a spicy duo they've got a bunch of guys and a bunch of girls looking buff and and healthy <laughs> uh saving people out in the uh in the big you know big blue ocean they get themselves into situations where you would assume a cop would be involved and um, <laughs> is not because they're lifeguards and it's their beach and they're protecting it. So they do some investigations. They look for, you know, handle stuff like, I don't know, uh, drug gangs. They deal with murder, um, that they're trying to solve these crimes, you know, corporate conspiracies. It's a very odd so thing. So you're doing. saying it's super serious. Yeah, <laughs> super, super, super serious. I will tell you that I watched the film hoping that it was just got it got a lot of negative press and that if you actually watch it, you know, you appreciate it. The film is super over the top. As much as I like The Rock, uh, I think that his comedy can't save the film. Um, they they really tried too much to do a lot of wacky things um, just to be wacky and at the same time have serious uh, story in there and it just doesn't work. So the comedy seems like forced, basically. No, it's the the seriousness seems forced. You either oh, go comedy geez. or you go, you know, serious. And so they just try to add like a serious plot in there about, like I said, drugs and criminal organizations, conspiracies and people trying to take over the beach or whatever it is. And they're just adding, they just have jokes and jokes and jokes. And also there's some serious shit going on. We need to deal with this. So... It, it, it's just a bad meld and they really should have, and the, for this case, kind of gone like the neighbor's route where it's mm-hmm. just funny. You know, you have the overarching kind of, here's the conflict and we're just going to be funny now. It doesn't take itself serious. It right. just goes, yeah. So, I mean, uh, if you like The Rock, I'd say you can watch it, but it's not going to be one of his best films. It's not going to be anything that you're going to remember. I'm really best to wait till it comes on like HBO or something like that. A casual streamer. Yeah. The, the last film I saw that was really funny um, just came out on Netflix um, called Little Evil. That film has uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec. It's basically about uh, Adam Scott is uh, just got married. He has, he's a stepfather now. Um, his wife has a son. His name is Lucas. And uh, Lucas is um, evil. He is like yeah. a demon spawn or something. <laughs> oh, I don't shit. know. He seems a little satanic. The kid has a lot of uh, evil things happening around him. People getting burned alive. Like The Omen. People getting buried alive. Like The <laughs> Omen, yeah. Just an odd, quiet Is it, is it like kid. a horror film? It is a horror comedy. comedy film. Okay. Um, it's more comedy, and they're just playing a lot of homages to all these different type of horror films, um, and that that's what this kind of kid embodies. But, you know, Adam Scott is the character where he's just trying to say, like, I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to reach out to this kid. He's just misunderstood. But is also noticing a lot of weird stuff happening, and the mom is just like, he's just a boy. He's just trying to figure <laughs> things out. You know, he's he's he doesn't know where he is. And um, there's there's a whole arc about the kid and them bonding, and then thing going well, things going really uh, sideways. The film is hilarious. If you like horror films um, and you like this kind of mash comedy, it all just kind of works really well together. It's not like slapstick or anything like that. It's it's funny because it is funny and not because they're trying to be funny. So I, I definitely recommend watching that. And that's on Netflix now. Awesome. So that's what we've all been watching here. We're going to move into some news now. What's in the news? 
so a heads up too right before we start with anything we were supposed to have an update on the movie pass the bill and i but they still have not sent us our cards no no again <laughs> wah wah yeah so they sent us an email about a week and a half ago telling us that because of all the people that had signed up recently that it was delayed in getting cards to us so this is something i'm hoping within this week we get because we've been waiting like three weeks yeah or four weeks now almost and we oh. tried to you know be an early adopter but based off what the email said we would have received it sooner rather than later but doesn't look like it's happening, so... Um, I think they'd be more prepared with them dropping the price, but... I yeah. guess, yeah. I guess drop, it exceeded right? expectations. Yeah. I gotta say, just right off the bat, it's already making me pretty uneasy about it. Like, <laughs> hmm, okay. Because they already charged us, too. Mm-hmm. So do I get a free month? Or? Right away, they charge you. So, once again, uh, MoviePass is the new... It's Well, not a new. It's, it's a service where you pay monthly uh, $10 a month, and you get to see a movie once a day. Anything that's non-3D, non-IMAX. Uh, we were supposed to have an update, like I said, but hopefully next time? Next spot, hopefully we get the cards by then. And Crossing our fingers there. Yeah. Hopefully, because well, we can't really review something that we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, news time though. There's some Joker news, guys. I'm pretty sure you guys all saw it. There's two sets of different Joker films coming out. So from what I'm, we've been reading about here... Warner Brothers is eyeing a um, sort of like an origin story Joker movie. It's going to be produced by Martin Scorsese. Wow. So the thing with this is that, this is the rumor, is that Leonardo DiCaprio is, they're eyeing him to be the new Joker for the film, since it's not connected to the DC Expanded Universe. So it's going to be a standalone film. Yeah, it would be a standalone film, which I believe they're going to be doing. A true standalone film, right? Not a standalone, still within the universe Pseudo type. Kind of thing, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Once again, this is really early too, and I'm not sure why they're doing this, truthfully. But I think the Joker story is interesting. Um, I like. You said, I just don't like how they don't. Con- I don't know. At this point with Marvel, I, I guess because I'm, I'm comparing it to Marvel, yeah. connecting it would have been nice, but. On the flip side, there is another Joker movie announced, too, <laughs> that Jared Leto and Margot Robbie are going to be reprising their role of the Joker and Harley Quinn. So that's in development as well. And it's supposed to take place of Gotham City Sirens, right? Because that's the original project with Harley Quinn that got, I guess, Did it get axed? I'm not sure if it did anymore. Um, DC's... Warner Brothers is kind of all over the place right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know I, what's going on. I literally gave up last week. As <laughs> soon as can... I got these two Joker things in, I was like, I'm just going to let them do what they want to do now. <laughs> they could do like an alternate universe kind of thing, though, too, where it's like, this is one Joker kind of thing and in a different universe, but here's this universe we're exploring. See, they, they could. And with the announcement that the Flash movie is basically going to be Flashpoint, that would make sense, except that if that movie had already been released and it already explained that there are separate universes. Well, it. they haven't even I mean, done a script the, of mean, the Joker movie yet. Right, but like, it just, it sort of makes it seem like they're all over the place or also like they're making these backup movies where, hey, if our universe fails and flops, we they have the these backup. movies that have nothing to do with that that we can still Clean keep it making. It's, it, it, is it, I don't uh, know. It, it, to me, it sort of says that you you don't really trust the product you're about to release. Well, they have what's his name? Or you have uh, no the writer of the comics, uh, Jeff Johns. Is that his name? 
Yes. Um, he is kind of helming the DC universe as a whole now since in Zack Snyder's absence. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised that he does do some more of the comic, crazy comic book stuff and try to put that into film. You know, try to get mm -hmm. different directors or whatever and try to just make that a part of the universe and be different from Marvel. Um, and if you have somebody like that, I, you know, who knows what they'll come up with. Yeah, and with the news of Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't think that's going to happen either, by the way. I'd, I'd be surprised if he does something like that. It has to be something that Scorsese pushes for Leo to be in there. Not and once again, the news on it, too, is that Scorsese hasn't even signed on, technically, as official producer yet. And I don't... I, Leonardo DiCaprio seems like the type of person that only does projects that aren't like these franchise kind of projects. Right. Yeah. He and likes to do those. Because it, it's pretty well known that he, he was offered the role of Anakin Skywalker and turned it down. Right. Like interviews after that, he even talked about that he was super happy he didn't because he would have got typecast or right. that always leads down to always being known for one thing. And then, so that's... Our Warner Brothers DC news. It's <laughs> so like I'm not even enthusiastic about it. It's just let them do what they're gonna do, I guess, at this point. Yeah. We'll uh, see last, what we get. Yeah. Last uh, bit of news here is that this August, this last month, because it's currently September now, but August has been the worst August for movies since 2001, basically. So. Wow. Top films here, basically all of the films only generated about $65 million in North America for the month, which That's is ridiculous. super bad. The top 12 films generated a, a closely a number 49.6 million. So it's just been really slow weekends this month. I think it's credited really to the lack of some quality films coming out. Yeah. They did a lot of the blockbusters early. They usually have big. something like Liberty Weekend and there's yeah. nothing really big. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There was no big releases last weekend actually. And, um, Historically, mid-August through September is pretty much known to be pretty slow, but it's really bad this year. It's actually down 35% from last year, mm -hmm. sale-wise, so... It doesn't help that they've moved the summer releases earlier, too. Yeah, moving that, up to May now, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's just been a kind of a string of bad films and people not seeing them, like The Dark Tower that got destroyed, Hitman's Bodyguard didn't do good. All it did do the best this month, though. It pretty much carried this month, is what they're saying. Wow! Actually, Annabelle creation kind of carried the month. Right. Annabelle came in with seventy seven. That, that was a good film. Point nine total, yeah. but um, yeah. I mean, Marco didn't think so though. <laughs> Everyone else seemed to. They made money. That out. was actually the one film this month that did pretty decent. Everything else, I don't know. It's because of the Hurricane Harvey, maybe a lot of things, and just nothing that got anybody really crazy no. out of their seats. So no, nothing really is coming out until. Like the next couple of weeks, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think the next one will be it. Yeah, horror That's what films. You can. There's a lot of horror films coming out in the next uh, few weeks. It's and gonna be. It's, yeah, it's and either that or it's like a like a. Mar When's the next Marvel or Star Wars film come out? Right. Yep. Uh, Marco, so you are the topic of the week here. What's your topic? It's the topic of the week. Well, I figured this week we would uh, discuss uh, 3D movies. Um, are 3D movies dying? And what's the next gimmick uh, or fad that will replace us? Or replace it, not us. It. The 3D <laughs> movies. What are some of the, the stats that you have on it, though, Marco? Well, 
I got this mainly from a few articles that I, I, I stumbled upon, uh, stumbled across online. Uh, one from Quartz, just basically announcing that IMAX is going to be scaling down their 3D movies. So that's where this is all, or partly where this is stemming from. Uh-huh. Because yeah. I, I mean, IMAX is popular; it's a big name. But they apparently had poor earnings in the second quarter of 2017 with 3D movie. A, a lot of it having to do with the failures of 3D movies. And the CEO of IMAX, Greg Foster, has stated that in their findings, 2D movies, the demand for 2D movies is surpassing 3D movies in North America. And uh, movies such as Blade Runner 2049, although being released in 3D, they're actually going to release that in 2D in their movie screens. Um, IMAX. Yeah, right? IMAX is. Um, according to Business Insider, they IMAX releases about 35 movies a year. And what they're planning to do is only having 5 to 10 of those being 3D. So it's just scaling back completely down. <clears throat> Again, the market for 3D movies in reference to the box office has gone down significantly. Uh, they it struck down eight percent in 2016. It's been shrinking ever since. They went from making 2.2 billion dollars in box office revenue, which accumulated to 21 percent of total revenue, down right. to 1.6 billion uh, in revenue, or roughly only 14 percent. So that's a huge scale down from when 3D movies were dominant in 2010 till now, where they're just significantly dropping more and more. Other reasons, 3D TV is another one, where back in 2012, a couple years after Avatar, which is the movie that made 3D popular again, they had a 20%, excuse me, 23% market share in 2012 until recently as 2016, they only have a 16%. And part of that has to do with people losing interest. A lot of the TV companies that are designing 3D TVs aren't going to do it anymore. The last two were Sony and LG, and they said no more models. Content is no longer going to be available, too. What limited content there was is just no longer going to be available. So it's it's just dying out. Nice. Uh, so, Nibo, what is your opinion on that? I personally have never been like a really big fan of 3D. Um, I've liked a few films um, that have come out based off of what I've seen. Like, like you said, Avatar in two thousand nine was like I still think is the best 3D movie I've ever seen. But um, there's been other films like recently. I mean, two thousand fifteen, Guardians of the Galaxy was a really good uh, 3D film. Doctor Strange last year was really good in 3D. So some of the big films got a lot of colors, a lot of uh, splash. Are great in 3D, but for the most part, there has been. Um, I like <laughs> James. James knows about this. Right after Avatar, they, that's when they really picked up the 3D <laughs> movies, and we watched Clash of the Titans, the remake. That and that terrible. film, <laughs> minus the fact that the film was terrible, the 3D was just ridiculously bad. Like was there was bad. no point for that. And that's how a lot of films have been. They've just kind of been adapted to 3D, or they try to play with the the gimmicky part of it, and never really captured. Outside of a handful of films, um, the last you know ten years, almost uh, eight years, um, capture what was so great about like Avatar. I think the TV wise, for me, it's really difficult to say that I'd want a three D TV at home um, because it it's really is something where it gets expensive to get the peripherals, you know, get multiple glasses. Yeah. Um, 
doing it by yourself, maybe if you're really like a big fan of 3D and you get the right films, maybe it's great. But um, I never really saw the value in it. I love the, the whole HDTV, you know, the clearer the picture, the sharper the focus. That's right. the kind of thing I've wanted, but not really wanting the film to kind of come out at me. I'd leave that for the theater. If and I really and that's one of the things that the Business Insider article also stated is the, the fact that it... It, the 3D glasses for one part was annoying having to use the 3D glasses that were clunky and bunky kind of uh, turned people off away from that and not only that but 3D movies require careful calibration and if you mess it up you're not going to get like a full good experience. quality or the best or the full experience um, going to like what you were saying about movies being converted to 3D uh, John, James Cameron and John Favreau who directed Iron Man and also The Jungle Book which was released in 3D also like spoke out about movies being converted into 3D that originally filmed in 2D and they say that that's actually damaged the reputation of 3D because right. when James Cameron released Avatar he actually filmed it using 3D cameras and people were blown away by it so that's the quality and expectation people are expecting when they're paying extra money for 3D and then you have these movies that are released that have been converted and the quality is not there. The immersion is not there because that wasn't these movies weren't filmed with 3D in mind. And so now people are like, well, I don't want to watch a 3D movie because they're not going to bother to research, you know, was this movie filmed in 3D or not right. versus, you know, yeah. The Jungle Book, which John Favreau said he wanted that immersive feeling because the majority of the background would be in computer graphics. The 3D would help kind of carry the story and the illusion of being in the jungle. And those are the types of movies that made 3D successful. And now with people just not wanting to risk paying that extra dollar, they'd just rather go see the 2D version and just, you know, watch it regularly. Save the money, yeah. Yeah. It's... I don't know if it's going to disappear totally. I think 3D itself should just be used as a tool, basically. So certain directors, you know, like artists and such... If they use it correctly, it looks good. It does. Like you said, there's certain aspects of action films and things that are colorful yeah. that look really good. James Cameron seems like he super knows how to use 3D. Mm -hmm. He's gone back and redone Titanic. He redid Terminator 2, and those are films that weren't yeah. shot in 3D. He, but it's just if you know what you're doing and you're doing it correctly, it can look really well. Like Titanic in 3D looks amazing. Absolutely. He, he James Cameron did go on to say that if it's converted with time and uh, yeah. carefully, then not just, it can do. And if it's if it's rushed, then that's yeah, when you not just really not crash. just doing it just to make a buck exactly on, um, just to for extra ticket sales because yeah. there's there's been a lot of shitty 3D I think and that's <clears throat> yeah. damaged a lot of this. So like you said, Clash of Titans is one. There was multiple films we've seen. My, three my Valentine was it my oh my Deadly Valentine or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I forget the infamous Transformers movies too. Those they're actually, actually not okay. bad. I think three. They're, they're not bad, but for what, what fail? Yeah, the graphics, heavy are graphics, good. but that the, the, the right look in. Yeah, the overall story and the actual movie itself is what caused it to fail. That's true. Yeah. Um, I'd say, me personally, I, I was an early adopter of 3D TVs, and I don't. Well, I gave I gave my TV to my girlfriend because I recently upgraded to a 4k tv and just like marco said there is no 3d on my tv anymore so i even remember the last few years 3d might be on some tvs but it's not heavily advertised anymore yeah. either so there was a disappearance of actual specs for the 3d 
uh, ability on the TVs. So that's you can tell because I remember I used to work at a place that sold TVs, and when 3D came out, everything it was everything 3D this, 3D that. People would come in wanting to look at the demo stations, and then you can kind of already realize the weak points of a lot of the early 3D TVs was the active 3D glasses, and they were expensive. If you have a, a family. You're not going to spend 80 bucks on a pair of glasses for each kid. You're going to have to pick and choose your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. Really, what's what's been keeping 3D afloat is uh, international movies uh, or them going internationally. Like uh, China, they have the most uh, number of 3D projectors in, than any other region. They over fifty nine percent. Is that just population? Uh, maybe there's a lot of them. Yeah, over there. There's a yeah, few. Billion. But no, but they're they're actually popular over there. Like people go out to like to see them to to, to watch them for the 3D experience. And it's just is it it's, it's sort of teetering more towards the popularity over there versus North America, where it's declining. People evaluating these this, these things and. You gotta justify the numbers are getting too, because if you think about it, like this specifically, we're talking about IMAX 3D, right? Because they have real 3D, um, and they have like those XD stuff at some of the cinemas. IMAX 3D is is another level of 3D because you're not only paying for the expensive IMAX ticket, which is like sixteen, seventeen dollars, but now you're paying for the 3D. So now you're going into the twenty, twenty-two dollar range, um, and that makes it even more expensive, and that can bring down sales too. Because, I mean. Yeah, we might go see that kind of movie and spend the money on it, but we're also going to be, you know, depending on what the film is, be like, mm, maybe I'll just wait and watch the normal IMAX version or maybe just watch mm-hmm. the digital version of it or something like that because these films have gotten more and more expensive over time and justifying justifying these costs are harder and harder to do. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think maybe with ticket prices, that's also... the uh, Ticket prices in the last seven years have increased. Yeah. So even when it did become popular, we're paying already $18 for a normal IMAX ticket. And then it's even more on top of that if you're going to do 3D. And on a side note, I don't actually think IMAX 3D has ever looked that great. No. I actually it's prefer, right. I think Real 3D is the best one. It's actually, like you said, the settings on Real 3D are closer to what's actual supposed to look for uh, the movie per the director and stuff like that. True, but I think that the reason they're going off of like IMAX's projections and what they reported is because they're a trendsetter. I mean, IMAX is a big name now. Um, almost, I mean, almost every big blockbuster action movie or sci-fi movie that comes out, you want to know, is it going to play on IMAX? You know you're asking, a Mind lot you, of, the majority of people are asking IMAX that. is around for like 10 years before it actually became popular. Mm-hmm. And like it's in been around for a long yeah, It, it has yeah. been around longer before that, but there, but only recently, in the last few years, have they been getting more into more traditional Hollywood movies. Right. When I first started watching IMAX movies, they did a bunch of freaking boring documentaries about right. space and nature. That's the IMAX that I grew up with when I was a kid, and then all of a sudden they start showing real Hollywood movies. And I'm like, oh wow, this is great. They made so, the the camera easier to use for yeah, Hollywood directors. Yeah, huge and expensive. The itself. camera itself is already still very large. Mm-hmm. It makes yeah. a lot of noise too. Going back to 3D though, at the home, just want to finish my little part about that. Like I said, I was an early adopter on it too. I didn't. I don't miss it at all, really. Because now <laughs> that I don't surprised. have it, it's yeah. one of those things where I always didn't like the fact that the glasses you had to s- sit up straight. I like yeah. to lay down. You can't lounge and and do that. Yep. On top of that. There's other options still, like my PlayStation VR has a 3D feature on it, so I can wear that if I really want to still watch it. Yeah. Kind of yeah, no, well, if yeah. it's, it puts a screen in front of you, 
in the VR world, and it's 3D, and it's a 3D movie playing. That's cool. Which is kind of cool in a way, but once again, you have to put on a headset to watch it, so it's there's still a takeaway from it, too. And not but, only that, but um, with 3D, you actually have to buy the 3D Blu-ray, and with streaming getting more and more popular over the years, people are going to look at, well, I can stream these movies on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. I'm not going to go and buy a disc just for the 3D experience. And that you don't was another factor I mean, that Business Insider has reported. You that could adapt that though, because that. they do it with cable. They have remember if you if you do, there's some channels like ESPN had 3D uh, sports for yeah. a little bit. It just never it just, it just never took off. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. We, there was streaming stuff on UVerse. Yeah, really where you could go on video on demand. And I could get 3D stuff. Yeah, and it it just it just never took off. Yeah, no, so, you'd have to keep it uniform. It's and and certain you know certain type of three D they could use. Like there's just too much involved for people to want to be involved. Now, mind you, James, you said you got a four K TV now, so I agree that the next wave of like down to the other part of the question is really the ultra, new gimmick ultra HD TV. Yeah, it's just the four Ks, the the higher resolutions, better refresh rates, the you know the higher hertz. It's all. Uh, you know, 60 frames per second, all these kind of things to, to make the picture more fluid and real. And I remember when I first watched a 4K show on uh, in James's house, um, and this was uh, a little bit ago, and um, it looked really weird to me. Just looking at it, it's like, this looks like fake. Like, I can't understand what I'm seeing. <laughs> and, and it does. It looks really weird for the first time you're watching it. And I imagine it just like watching... Standard uh, standard definition mm -hmm. of football, and then going to HD in football, and you're like, this looks really weird. I don't know if I like this. And then saying, oh my god, why haven't I seen this before? Like yeah. you get used to it. Yeah, I just <laughs> makes all the difference. I just watched the entire Defenders in Dolby Vision with 4K, and I have to say, it looks amazing. I think that they are going to drop gimmicks for a while and actually give us tangible, real features such as 4K, 8K. Um, because that's actually something that people see a value to and actually can experience with, without any of the inconvenience of having special setups or using special glasses or anything. And like you guys were saying, you can actually see the difference. I mean, you can walk into a Best Buy or a Costco, look at their display of televisions and compare them to whatever you have at home and see the actual difference and the quality and the value of that. Yeah, Three, I'd say yeah. They, they're probably just going to improve on the technology. Exactly. It's 4K, and like, especially I think right now the big thing is HDR, high dynamic range. Yep. So that's the big thing is that they're doing an HDR 10 plus and it's kind of going against Dolby Vision. Mm -hmm. So eventually we're going to find out what's going on with that. And uh, that's really, that comes down to more of like shadowing and like, blacks on blacks and just seeing the color differences between the two so eventually i think that's kind of what the big focus is i don't think it's going to get removed from theaters no 3d i think 3d is still going to be around because they, they've shown that people still sh they still show up it, if it if they think they can make even a little bit of money off of it it'll stay there so it's yeah. not going to go away and my like my prediction on it is that there will be a resurgence of 3D after Avatar 2. I was up. just gonna oh, yeah. say, I guess we'll have to wait until the Avatar sequels come out. Watch, and then watch we'll that movie do super, super well again, and then people yeah. are gonna be like, "Damn, I forgot how when it's done properly, how well 3D can really look." Really, gonna set the standard again and say, yeah. "You guys got to do it the right way." I can see that happening. I don't think it, again. Yeah, I don't think that it's gonna fade away or die completely, but I, I do think it is going to decline and. Maybe James Cameron will be a game changer again. And I apologize. There's a jet ski in the background, apparently. 
<laughs> Fuck. All right. So, yeah, that's that was our topic of the week. Thanks, Marco. Yep. So now we're going to be going into our review here. Uh, we've got two films, but we're going to do going to truncate it both for you guys here a bit. So we're going to go over the review right now of Blade Runner, The Final Cut. So just to give everybody a IMDb summary of the movie Blade Runner, it is a Blade Runner must pursue and try to terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. It's directed by Ridley Scott. The original version was released in 1982 and stars Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard and Sean Young as Rachel. So the version we are we, that we saw was the final cut, which was released in 2007. This version adds is closer to director uh, Ridley Scott's actual vision of the film. There was a lot of drama actually leading up to the initial release where they went back and added voiceovers. Uh, in 1992, they actually released another version of the film called the Director's Cut, but Ridley Scott had very little to do with that version of the film. So this version that was released about uh, 10 years ago in 2007 is the closest to what he was actually trying to go for. So just start with you, Nabil. What did you think about the film? Well, Blade Runner is my... Like one of my all-time favorite films. Um, okay, Marco, what did you think? <laughs> I'm going to be goodbyes here. Um, I will say that I saw the 4K remastered version of it, and that film um, in 4K looked amazing. Um, and I think it still holds up pretty well as far as um, graphics and kind of the tone and how they said it, because um, it's very dystopian still in a sense, um, and dark. Um, and that is really kind of... Um, relevant to how a lot of the sci-fi films are doing now um even though they're a little bit more bright and poppy it's just a kind of a darker version of it yeah um but the movie overall it's, it's a great film what'd you think marco loved it great movie this That's was your first time say. seeing the final cut too right yeah before that i'd only seen the original and uh the one i actually found out i'd seen three versions the original the one where they added the stupid voiceover and the director's cut so um yeah, first time seeing the final cut. Uh, overall storytelling was great, although you know not, not perfect, but it's still great. Uh, the social commentary, like Nabil was saying, that can still speak to today's time um, about the tug of war of uh, humans that the the tug of war love that humans have with technology. There, that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Tongue twister there, but. Um, yeah, the, the atmosphere is very like realistic in the film. I, I loved it. The special effects still hold true. The cinematography, the score, just everything's great about this movie. I love it. Yeah, no, it's a really well-done film. I, this is one of my favorites as well. Um, early on in life, I really enjoyed Harrison Ford and Star Wars, Indiana Jones. So in high school, this is the first time I'd seen this film. I want to say initially I probably wasn't too keen on it probably just watching the director's cut because it's a lot more adult sci-fi it's one of those it's very gritty it's like a film noir kind of a tone of film but it works so well um the performances are really well i i really like the atmosphere of it like you guys are saying it's very gritty very dark deckard himself is not a perfect hero 
So there's kind of a blend between good and bad in a way between the two and kind of choosing a side. And I think from his initial beginnings, so just like an explanation to people that haven't seen it, a Blade Runner is a kind of a specialized, almost like it's like a cop. Yeah. That cop bounty hunter. Kind of a way, right? That kills um, replicants, which are basically human, not humans, I'm sorry, the robots that look like humans. So they're banned from the planet, basically, because of an uprising that had mm-hmm. happened. So they, they explain all this in the first like title card of the movie, yeah, basically. But just so that you guys have some context, if you've never seen it. And I want to say that they do really well. Even the replicants and kind of questioning like humanity and whose choice is it to tell you that you can't exist in a way. Yep. And Marco got it perfect, saying that it's, it's like a grapple between man's... Um, relationship with technology so it's yeah, they don't fall for a lot this, the, the nice thing about how this film has us is telling a story it doesn't fall for the kind of uh old style tropes of you know uh g- giving you too much information or uh, not enough information like for instance you don't get a lot of information on deckard's background you are right. just not kind of chopped into where he is now and what he's trying to accomplish yeah um and you just kind of go along about how he feels about things uh, based off the situation. Same thing with the replicants. Like, you were just kind of dropped into this world mm-hmm. and seeing it as it is right now. You do learn about their background or why they're there because right. they're like, oh, we found a ship and there's people missing. They came from a colony. But that's about it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the most exposition you get from that. It's very realistic, though. Very immersive. Uh, the movie's ahead of its time, really, when it comes yeah. to... Like the way it was filmed, the uh, the way it's like a used uh, universe where everything you know they have pristine, shiny things, but you can tell that you know things have been used over time, so it makes, adds to the realism. Um, I, and it's a I, world building on a world, it, is what exactly. It's doing, yeah. And um, the the story is great too, in that really they they leave everything open to interpretation, which is great. Like you you can make your own assumptions on. Who's really good? Who's really bad? It's not like your classic sci-fi movies where it's like a hero who's going against like an ev- evil villain or evil right. force. Um, it's more grounded, and I like that. Yeah, and I think it works on a, a number of levels too because it's, we're slowly unraveling the plot by uh, where Deckard is going to different people and kind of it's a mystery too. So yeah. you're trying to find out where the replicants are. And he, there's also a backstory to all of them involving how they were created and why they were created. So, and I think that works really well too. The relationship in the film, um, I think, is probably one of the. It depends on your point of view on it and what you got from it, because there's a lot of uh, things you can take away from the film. But I think that the, the relationship between Deckard and um, Rachel, Rachel, that's the name I was thinking of. Um, Rachel, their relationship. Uh, initially, to me, seems a little forced, but I could see what happens near the end, you know, how he feels about it, and it kind of leaves things a little open to interpretation of, of where things are left off. So that's also a good thing about the film is that you do get left not being specifically told something. You just kind of have to, you know, make your own assumptions on things. But I think that's probably one of the weaker the, probably the only weak thing about that part yeah. is how that relationship kind of starts. I would say, yeah, I want to go in more of that during spoilers too. Same. But if, if we're if we're on a part that's lacking from the film, I would say it's definitely the relationship between Deckard and Rachel because 
I I felt that that is the most forced part of the movie. I agree 100%. Yeah, like, I've seen this I wanna movie. S- I want to say times. more about it too, but I'll talk about it after spoilers. It's sort of just kind of out of nowhere. And just like it's you said, super random. So Deckard falls in love with a replicant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all I'll say. Uh, who doesn't know she's a replicant? So newer. T- she's a newer model, sir. She's a newer model. Yeah, so she's not aware of that she's a replicant because one of Decker's jobs is to run tests on suspected replicants, and there's a series of questions they ask them that can kind of reveal to them that these people are not human. Like, planted memory... Because they all have planted memory, supposedly, so... Yeah. The replicants should answer in a way or get disturbed. So, this is something where he goes to the Tyrell Corporation, which is, like, the biggest manufacturer of replicants. Yeah. So... Well, they essentially created... The, one, the ones that created them, yeah. yeah. So, they go... The, he goes there and he They're meets... They're the apple him. of replicants. Yeah. He <laughs> basically... So, he meets a new replicant and... The relationship between the two is probably the weirdest part of that movie. Yeah. And it almost kind of takes away from it, I'd say, because he's on a pretty direct path, pretty much trying to find out where the four rogue replicants are. And then he has his side kind of story going on where he falls for a, a replicant in a way because he, he feels sympathy for her for some reason. Because well, And it's never fully explained there, why. Yeah, is, and we'll go into spoilers. Yeah, we'll go into spoilers. Kind of explained. This is why I say you leave your subjects to it because yeah. there, is, there is a connection that they form. Tell you what, let's jump into spoilers then, guys, unless you have anything to say before spoilers. It's definitely worth a watch. I mean, it's, again, I am a little biased because it is one of my favorite films, but it's considered, like, I think, one of Ridley Scott's best films. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, it, it's a film that had a really rocky... Beginning, it got to cult status. It's one of those films that I highly recommend, especially for sci-fi fans and anybody that likes a sci-fi drama action film. And if you do watch it, we definitely recommend the final cut. Yeah, yes. definitely check Please the final cut that out. One. That's the one that's most widely uh, available anyways. Okay, so we're going up on spoilers here. So if you'd like to skip the spoiler section, just look at our timestamp and get on to the next review. Thank you. All right, so back from spoilers here, uh, our little jingle. So what I was going to try to say was that I know that Deckard himself, the rumor is is that, or that makes you question it, is if he himself is a replicant. Right. Yeah. Because there's a lot of tendencies where they talk about how replicants themselves don't interact well with other replicants or look down on them. And there's other things where they have the implanted memories. So throughout the film, Deckard himself has a dream about a unicorn, which is like a sign that a flashback sequence, yeah, could is like a false memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when we reach the end, one of the other cops leaves an origami of a unicorn outside of his know? apartment, and it's supposed to imply that that detective or that cop knows Deckard's memories, which implies that he's a replicant. Right. Other yeah. things is Which, you, you never <laughs> you never really see him. He never takes the void comp, and he never answers, which is the test that they give the replicants to determine whether or not they are a replicant or not. Right. And even still, the newer model, like Rachel, requires like I think it's over a hundred questions. Yeah. Man, I gotta say, Edward James almost plays that guy Gaff. 
Yeah. Is he the most random fucking cop he ever? Is super <laughs> random. Yeah. When I first saw that movie as a kid, I thought he was a bad guy. Yeah. And yeah. then it turns out, no, he works for the police. Yeah. For he's some odd reason. And he looks super creepy. They, they make it seem like he's going to be uh, this guy that gets in his way. Yeah. Yes, but he's, he's but not. No. He's just very weird. He's I just want to bring weird. that up because it still bothers me even today yeah, when I rewatched watching it. Again, it. I was like, no, it hasn't changed. He's just yeah. an odd character. He's just a weird guy. And I heard he's in the new one. So. Is he really? Yes. That would be good. Oh, yes. So that's yeah, awesome. I was like, okay, that's strange. Um, going back to what you said, um, I know the novel that this is based on, Do Androids Dream of Sheep. Electric, Electric Sheep. Sheep, yeah. Electric Sheep, sorry. Um, you said that Deckard is not a replicant in the right. book, right? Yeah. The so author is, yeah, made, stated that or it's evident in the book that he's not a replicant. So this is more of Ridley Scott Eddie's. It's more implications on stuff. Because yeah. it's, it's never super solid right. like everything else. And I really good. don't think he is a replicant, but I do think that it does question a few things about how did the guy know and what you know where'd that come from. So... Uh, circling back though, I feel like that is still part of a weakness of the film is his relationship with Rachel. Yeah, is that it? Just doesn't make a lot of sense, man. I, before you say it, I just want to say how the relationship came about because obviously they met in the beginning and whatever oh, had their interaction. I'll tell you how it came up. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's because he, she saved his life because she almost he almost got killed yeah. by that other replicant and. She shot the guy, and that's where they... Oh, yeah. And then so he was like... that's how happened. Let me reward you with some dick. Right. Basically. <laughs> right? Sorry, I just... Okay, see, all right, yeah. So just remember that before that. you start thinking about but, it. But even even still, like so, it, it still felt like it happened too fast. It did. And this is, this is why I think the replicant theory like makes that love story make more sense, because he himself is a replicant and it just sort of makes more sense that he's drawn to her and that would make it that would make the 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 weak love story excusable but to me it's just like man it seems so freaking boring for me the reason why i feel like it it's the weakest part is and it's just solely based off of um what we really do know about uh deckard is that he's a blade runner He's had to retire these replicants before. It's not his first go around. He's supposedly one of the best guys to do it. So his feelings towards them usually is pretty kind of, I would assume, is pretty hardened. He's like, doesn't really have too much sympathy for him, even though he knows her specific situation. So why would he fall for her? That's what I mean. That goes against for what a replicant, if you are a replicant, you actually stay away from other replicants, supposedly. Right. But, That's one of the signs that they talk about is but, that they uh, don't interact well with them. But also, if he's a new version as well too, like she is, who's unaware that they're a replicant, it would actually kind of excuse that as well too. And not only that, but his background as a is told runner, is told saying, to yeah. us. He never really says his past. It's told to us right. through other characters. And, so uh, it, uh, we, that could be his implanted backstory too. Because true. It's, it's on, things that being on told a side to note. It, it is only in this version of the film. That it's ever done where they you think he's a replicant, by the way, or the yeah. final cut. The other two versions, it's he's not make it very blatant that he's yeah. not. He's a human because he's he narrates one of them. But real, real quick, my last my my last two like little pieces of evidence, if you will, that would kind of explain him being a replicant. Um, the fact that it, I was telling James actually this in, in the car on the way over here, that the fact that Decker's apartment is surrounded by pictures as well too. Uh, replicants are. They love pictures and are obsessed with them because they because they don't have their own memories. They are fascinated by that idea of being able to hold your own memories like that. Um, and another is, man, him being able to take a beating by three replicants. 
Like they're supposed to be one of them. They even said is a lifter who's supposed to be able to lift like what, like a thousand pounds or yeah. a, whatever measure of weight that they give. And this guy hits Harrison Ford at full force, and he's still alive. And it it kind of helps to explain why he is able to be so good at hunting them down. Like, what's the best way to stop them but to use a replicant against them who can actually withstand these types of blows and hits? That's that's just my two cents. My own theory, you know, you, you guys can have your own. It's, a, it's Harrison Ford in the 80s. He's, yeah, untouchable. he's, he's untouchable. Yeah, that's... Did you, also, did you see him fight the Amish? I just <laughs> took a couple beatings in there, too. How lucky was he to have Roy Betty, uh, Batty, um, like, essentially go offline, you know, not work anymore after he reached the end of his four-year lifespan, right at the end. I knew it was already happening. Obviously, they showed the signs of it. It was going to happen really quick. And I, so there's a lot of foreshadowing. As yeah. soon as he yeah. finds out that his lifespan's already near the end when yeah. he kills Tyrell, and then he's slowly, like, his hand is doing that weird, like... It's like he's getting rapid, yeah. essentially. Yeah, so it it's part of the film, I yeah. think, really for that. Um... One thing I want to talk about too is that the new version, no, not I'm sorry, the sequel is coming out very soon, next month I believe, yeah. October. It's going to be called Blade Runner 2049, and we all three of us we actually watched. Uh, they, just to let you know a heads up here, they are releasing three videos, little mini videos, kind of as a uh, fill-in between the events of this film, which takes place in 2019. The new one is 2049, so it's 30 years later. So the new little film that we saw it was, it was a mini film. It was called Twenty uh, Blade Runner Twenty Thirty Six Nexus Dawn, and it kind of ties it into the film and just giving you kind of a heads up that things have been happening. Um, what do you what are you guys basically th- thoughts on kind of like this tie in to the sequel? There's not much that happens here. It just gives you a heads up like some shit's going down basically. It I think it's a good way to tell you. Um, why replicates are still relevant. Yes. You know, after 30 years, especially since they were like, illegal in the film. So, mm-hmm. you know, and they would have lived, they would have been dead past their four-year lifespan by that point and, and 30 years later. So um, that is a good kind of introduction of saying, hey, this is what's happening and uh, this is why it's kind of started. It's sort of addressing the mistakes subtly that they made with the first few versions of replicants where they gave them a short lifespan and the fact that they were high intelligent, and it maybe that had to also do with them rebelling and wanted. I mean, the whole point of the first movie is they they wanted more life, they wanted to mm-hmm. to live. And the fact that in this mini movie, it's revealed that the new CEO of the Terrell Corporation, his last name is Wallace, creates it's, a new it's model, ne- Nexus yeah, Nine. It's Neander Wallace, played by uh, Jared Leto. Yeah. Uh, creates the Nexus 9 model and their lifespan is dependent upon how deep your pockets go. Yeah, so he's basically showing, just a quick thing, he's just showing them like, hey, I made one already. And you're not supposed to be making replicants, so the shareholders or whoever he's talking to in this little video are freaked the fuck out, basically. Yeah. That's basically it. It's a really short one. It's about five, six minutes long. Um, That almost gives me a heads up about the whole, is Harrison Ford a replicant, too? Just think about the sequel since it is thirty years later. Mm-hmm. So was he already like a super advanced replicant? Or I, I highly doubt it. I, really I don't think. They, they I don't do, think he is. They he do have this, I know trailers. Either. Trailers are edited. Harrison Ford aged. Yeah, I know trailers are edited in a weird way, and sometimes they they throw lines out there. But there is a line in there where they were, where they say that you are the key, like to Harrison Ford, like as if implying that 
his model of replicant is what's going to advance the newer models or going to help him out some way or another. It okay. could be interpret. It's up to interpretation, but that's the way I see it. Okay, so before we move on to our next review, Stephen King's It, we have a word from our new sponsor, actually, coming right up. Hey everybody, we have our first official sponsor, our local comic book shop Waterfront Comics has provided us with the first volume of the graphic novel version of Stephen King's The Stand. Titled The Stand, Captain Trips by Robert Aguirre Sacasa, it's a direct adaptation of the classic Stephen King book. Big shout out to the owner of Waterfront Comics, John Harder, for providing us with this giveaway. So what we're doing is, since the bill's going to be gone for the next pod episode, we're going to have you, the audience, choose our next topic of discussion. Send us your idea via Facebook at facebook.com slash moviepalspod or at our Twitter at moviepalspod and hashtag it with hashtag moviepalspodtopic. Waterfront Comics is located at 609 Main Street in Sassoon City, California, and they're open every single day from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you can't get there in person, they do ship to home orders via email waterfrontcomics at gmail.com so if you're looking for a gift for your avid comic book fan or a collectible for a friend come to waterfront comics john is the guy to see the person with the best pot topic will be contacted directly by one of the movie pals and we'll obtain your contact info so we can ship the graphic novel right out to you all right Awesome. So now we're going to be moving into our review of Stephen King's It from 1990. So a quick little synopsis of this one. This was a miniseries here that premiered in 1990. So it's in 1960, seven preteen outcasts fight an evil demon who poses as a child-killing clown. 30 years later, they reunite to stop the demon once and for all when it returns to their hometown. Um, this was a film that was, it stars a ton of people, actually. I would say the, the biggest person is probably John Ritter is in this one. He plays yeah. Ben Hanscom, which is one of the kids that grows up. And then Tim Curry plays the clown slash it called Pennywise. And also Seth Green's in it, too. Just, yeah, which just is... Just recall that. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I keep forgetting he was in it, too. He's in that movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, just starting with Marco. Uh, Marco, I know you actually listened to the audiobook version of this one, too. The, that is uh, correct. By Stephen King, the unabridged version. Uh, how, what did you think overall, man? Um, I, I liked it. I really thought that, uh, well, watching this movie after uh, knowing what the book had, uh, I think that it was a pretty good adaptation for its time and the fact that it was a tv movie as well with a limited budget um i liked it pretty violent right yeah uh it was enjoyable um i would say that they primarily gutted a lot of the the detail in the story Um, which is not a lot of exposition it's common for adaptations like that Yeah. yeah So, for the most part, though, the, the basic synopsis of the movie is essentially the same. Right back down to the flashbacks, uh, a lot of the situations that the, that the kids go into when they're younger, and what they go into as adults um, is, I'd say, 80-90% accurate, man. Oh, wow. Uh, Nabil, yeah. what did you think? This is a film that got me afraid of clowns as a kid. <laughs> um, watching it again, uh, the film overall wasn't as scary as i thought it was but tim curry's pennywise was still very creepy there were some there's a few kind of scary moments with him involved and so um 
I thought that was uh, really well done um, for for the time um, and what they did. I do like how they told the story in the two parts where they did. Yeah. Um, even though, yeah. just a heads up, even though that this is this movie presented as one long film. Yeah. So it hits about three hours and five minutes long or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original showing was an hour and a half each, basically. Right. So the first half was broken down, where the it's Mostly. it's still flashbacks. Don't get me wrong, but it's building up to it. But it yeah. shows the kids and what they had to do to defeat it. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of the movie is them later, as adults thirty years later finally reuniting, and then from there, what happens? Mm-hmm. And I th- I like I kind of like how that story was told. Um, the film is, you know, it is dated. It is a TV movie, not, a, not something that was released in the theater. So it is, yeah. you got to lower your expectations on what you should expect from it. But again, like Marco said, it was it, it was a bit graphic, um, especially for television. Um, there was a lot of scary moments in there, especially for television. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was surprised at what they could get away with back there com- in comparison to what we can get away with now on TV. Um, but uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a good scare. I'll say it was at the turn of the 80s into the 90s yeah. and they got away with a lot during that <laughs> decade <laughs> they were just testing the waters there and seeing like what they could get away with but um also nice to see john ritter and uh you know i forgot that he was in the film seeing him in there acting it's like yeah he was him and tim curry best actors in the film i have to say absolutely yeah i would say overall i really enjoyed the film still it's um one of those it's, it's definitely dated but it's one of those movies that i remember super super scary as a kid and Rewatching it now, I don't think it's as scary as I thought it was. Maybe just because Tim Curry's so creepy looking. Yeah, yeah. Especially the scene in the beginning when he's in the um, the, the drain pipe. Uh-huh. And dude, that part's still creepy. Like, and I I don't remember his voice like that. I guess maybe I imagined it something different. Because at first it was a turn off, like Tim Curry's voice. It's kind of like a Brooklyn Brooklyn esque accent, a little yeah. East Coasty, yeah. right? Which makes sense because they're, they're in Maine. Yeah. And then I, I I gradually got to actually enjoy his character a lot more throughout the film. And, like, there's some pretty generally funny moments in that movie. Yeah, he did a pretty good uh, Pennywise. I, I'd give him that. Um, yeah. A lot of a lot of his lines were taken straight from the book, like verbatim. Which yeah, no, I, but... which I enjoyed. Even down to the corny jokes uh, that, yeah, that no. he tells the kids. Like it, it's kind of like it's scary. It's weird because it's scary, and at the same time, it's funny because he's saying these cheesy jokes while he's terrifying these kids. Right. And I'm like, yeah, he does that in the book as well I too. Think, is he, he's just generally creepy, even when he's like got that weird eye look going on. He's mm. got the teeth popping out. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, weird. I remember when I was a kid. Every time those sharp teeth would come out, I'd just freak the fuck yeah, out. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty. That's that's like, scary. That's probably one of the creepier moments. But I'd have to say that. The acting is a little, it's on and off depends on who it is. Yeah, especially um, the kids for the most part were okay. Yeah, because uh, you kind of have to I I kind of have to excuse that in a way. I'm like, okay, they're kids, but it's it, when it got to the adults, it's there's a, I think the film gets hurt because there's a lot of overacting going on, and a lot of I don't know they just Eagles. go they go yeah right they go a little over the top a bit. And it's like, okay, I guess. But um, I'm kind of opposite on that. I kind of enjoy the adults better than the kids. Like there was like, some there was some delivery yeah. of the lines for the kids where I'm just like, oh man. Like I know they're kids, but the over the over the last few decades, like the, the standards of acting has <laughs> has in, has gotten better. So some kid actors today can actually pull it off a lot better than what those kids did. Of course. Once again, I was like, this is a TV movie. Yeah, so exactly. Expectations though. Jonathan Brandon was good as the, the young kid, the, the lead 
handsome, you know, boy that everybody wants yeah. to be with. Um, but I agree. Uh, you know, you can't expect much from the acting. It was the '90s. It was a TV movie. Um, the first part is generally accepted as the better half of yeah, the film, critical-wise. The yeah. second half is the where it starts losing a bit. But this time around, me watching it, I I, I actually enjoyed it. I think I agree with Mark a little bit too. Yeah. Is that the second half wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be? No, not really. You see more of Pennywise in the first half too, which is what makes it more interesting and more True. intense. So I w- I will give it that. Um, but that's uh, again, that's also. That's also because of the way it was filmed in in the book, it's pretty evened out because you there's a lot more of it as them and adults in the book oh, really? um, that they completely gutted out from the adult version, which I was kind of disappointed. Like he was much more menacing in the book, the way he messes with them as adults, and I was like, well, it's pretty fucking scary. That's true. Um, so would you guys say that? You know what? Let's. I kind of want to jump into spoilers now, just so that we can actually talk about what happens. So, overall, what did you guys would you guys recommend it to people still, or is it something where it's a hard sell because of the length, maybe? Yeah, I'd, I'd say, man, if it's streaming for free or if it's like on one of one on demand as one of the free movies, you know, check it out. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't recommend like renting it or paying for it. I think the film is long, so that's not hard. That's the only downfall of saying to go ahead and rent it. I actually think it's worth watching again because when I watched it again. Um, Tim Curry was still scary like the main you know scary thing there was him and, and he still sold it really well um, the acting everything else because TV movie you got to lower your expectations so I'd say it's worth um, worth watching again if you're interested in those, you know, in horror films or just a fan of horror in general yeah I'd say it's it's still worth a watch I'm going to go over in spoilers what I didn't like obviously but overall I think it's still a pretty good horror film itself uh, it's from according to Marco, it's a good adaptation. I know the new one is coming out this month as well, so we don't we can't compare it yet. We will on our next pod. But if you're looking for a film that actually it's still creepy, like I said, it's still creepy. I'd, I'd recommend horror fans give it a look. So we're gonna jump into our spoiler section now. So if you'd like to go to our outro, just take a look at the timestamp on the description of the pod. And, and we skip will, ahead. Uh, yep, yeah, let's just skip ahead here. So here come the spoilers. <laughs> Alright, so spoiler-wise, we're in the spoiler section of It now. I just want to talk about it. What did you guys think... What was your opinion then? What? So, Nabil, I'll start with you, because kind of know Marco's already. But did you enjoy the first half better or the second half? Uh, I enjoyed uh, the, the first half more, personally. Yeah. Um, I just thought that when they were building the lore and what happened. The only thing I didn't like about the first half, uh, and again, it could be a trope to the TV movie. I never really read the book. Yeah. But um, was the little book that uh, the kid, the little kid had, that just happened to have the history of Pennywise and little pictures of him. I was just like, that's just a little too convenient. That's a little on the nose, right? Yeah. So that was the biggest thing that I didn't like. Marco, was that a heads up that he's going to be like a librarian? Uh... Yeah, but also that's also in the book. There's really? a re- there's a reason for that. They they, they skipped a lot. Yeah, of... they just kind of like, oh, I found this book, and here you go. And I'm like, uh, no, okay, sure. No, that, bo- that book has been in his family. Like his his uh, Mike Hamlin's family has a long history in Derry, and that's why he has all that information. His background is one of the 
pieces of the story that they completely yeah they really out. just kind of overlook his whole story and if you haven't read the book like it, it makes no fucking sense but now coming into the movie after both like doing the audio and reading it years ago as a kid because uh, you know i used to torment myself like that um <laughs> <laughs> you you have a, a better understanding of that whole sequence and scene because you can fill in the blanks but right. if you haven't read anything then yeah it, it seems a little seems too weird. convenient well, that's good to that. know then and, because that was the weirdest thing i thought and pennywise reaching out like that really is, it's, is and that was a good too. scene to see i just thought that whole kind of setup was weird i did like how it ended where the kids it was kind of like goonie style almost but like more horror <laughs> where they're going down <laughs> and then, then we're going to be friends forever yeah. i was like okay i see where this is going where they're trying like, to go off everyone except stan mm-hmm. all right the backgrounds were good for each kid. They gave every kid, you know, except for Mike Hanlon. Except for Mike. Mike yeah. shows up just, randomly at the yeah. end. And I was he's like, like, I guess he's part of the crew? Okay, cool. <laughs> you know. Like, you guys mind saving me? Yeah, he was the only one that was really neglected. And apparently there's a lot more to go back on. Yeah. Um, but everybody else had a lot of good character development as, as, as far as their kid. Ba- basically, each kid, it's almost like... Uh, like Game of Thrones, where each character has their own chapter. Yeah, kind of like each each kid has their own chapter at at least one or two chapters that goes over their their past, uh, what what their deal is, and what freaky shit from it that they saw, like what traumatic experience they had, and each one is fucking terrifying. But um, I'd say that yeah, Mike's Mike's and also um, Stan. Yeah, stands. They suffered the most, as the most cuts of all the characters. Which is funny because Which I, they, I they think it hurts the beginning. Yeah, you know, and I think that hurts the film it, overall, though. Yeah, because yeah, like you like, you care less about those characters and more about the other main characters yeah. too. And they probably did that because just like in uh, in the movie in the book, Mike does get injured, and then he's like, you know, he's not involved in the story after right. that, and they were kind of leading up to that. As to, you know, we can cut him out because he's not going to be a major part later on, but he is part of the main group. And he is the one that brings them all back together. Yeah. So, so Mark, did you like the second half better than the first half? Uh, I like the acting better. That's what that's what I liked, really. Um, Marco also didn't like the child acting in Annabelle Creation. <laughs> no, just su- side note. So I don't know what your two. bar is for children acting, but I need Stranger to see things. your films. <laughs> Stranger Things, uh, The Goonies, Monster Squad, all had really good... Did you just like, say The Goonies? Did say The Goonies. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> what? It's Asian stereotypes it's galore, but okay. I just said the child acting. I didn't say the characters. Oh, so <laughs> Lil Gizmo, where the fuck his name is, isn't a child? Little Gizmo. <laughs> Fuck his name is. All right. Anyway, so did you actually like the second half better than the first half, though? Outside of the acting, or? Um, you know what? I want to recant that. I did like the scenes with Pennywise earlier in the first half of the movie because he's more prominent in there. He's, he's a stronger he's her, presence. Yeah, yeah he's a stronger half. presence there. So that's. I'd say each half has its strength and weakness. The strength of the first half is definitely Pennywise, and the fact that you get more of him. The second half, I'd say the adult acting is is better in that. So I'm kind of torn between that. I guess for me, the second half wasn't terrible. Like it, it wasn't as bad as I remember it. Because so as a kid, I didn't like the second half. Like the second half was like the boring part. Too. Yeah. Like there's the scene in the library that was creepy, uh, with the balloons and uh, when uh, who is it? Mike's waiting for him, right? Yeah. Mike's waiting for him, and he's just kind of like freaking out. No, no, it's, it's not Mike. Mike. No, it's, it's Seth Green's uh, character Seth, when he gets yeah. bigger. Um, Richie Tozier. Richie. Richie, yeah. It's Richie when he's waiting. In the, in the book, it's it's Ben, but yeah. Oh, okay. Just letting you know. I would say that I actually liked the first half 
kind of it reminds it's Stephen King does really well with like like stories about kids like Stand by Me and yeah and um, I just kind of remind me of that like the sixties locale and the location and them bonding I just feel like it's kind of a better experience at first okay, especially see. because the first half itself is a more solid as a standalone itself is a much more solid kind of story I'd yeah. say with the flashbacks until you get because then the second half of the film I feel has some just random moments although I know they're part of the book but that doesn't always mean it should be in a movie like for instance yeah. when the guy comes back that was the bully to them who was his name uh, Henry? Hey, yeah, uh, Henry Bowers. Yeah, Henry's part is so random. I bet it yeah, makes a lot more weird. sense in the yeah, book. Yeah, it makes more sense. But you, as a movie part, it doesn't work. Like no. they could have just changed that up. In the narrative of the book, you realize that like Pennywise has absolute like full autonomy over the town of Derry. Like yeah, they they stated too. They state that too in the second. But and you you get to see like it it in through the narration you see that Henry Bowers the reason he's like uh like bullying these kids is because the way that Pennywise manipulates his life and pushes them towards the kids to bully them because that's what he that's what he wants. I'd say though the the what didn't work for me was that the way that we kind of figure this out is through them talking about first that Henry, when they got pulled out of the sewer, admitted to all the murders, right? Yeah. And oh, then that was handled poorly. Dude, oh yeah, God. that's why the second half for me was like, ugh. And then you see the scene where Pennywise is talking to him through the moon. Which is, which and is it's okay. Very, no, I'm, I, it might, hold on, it might be okay, but it really it's did very on the nose, though. Yeah, again, it it's on the happen. nose, though, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but once again, I, I'm, looking, yeah. I'm not looking at this like, hey, this needs to be, like, no, I'm looking at this as a movie. Yeah. And this doesn't work as this is well, too that stupid build, as a that movie. That whole thing seemed like it was unnecessary because the one scene he had where he's trying to attack them and he's dead. Like, exactly, he's like, it. oh, okay. that's it. Shit, yeah. they could have just had fucking Pennywise come back and do something, right? And do something exactly. Wouldn't it have been creepier if they found Pennywise standing over him, stabbing him, and then right. looking up and then disappearing? Yeah, they they explain <laughs> he he gets other people to do his bidding because they, just like they explain in the movie, it. Hashtag Pennywise has to turn into physical form right. in order to feed or in order to do anything, and that makes him vulnerable. Whereas if he uses everybody as his pawns, then if they die, yeah, then he's, but the film yeah. never explains this. They, don't. they yeah. just show it yep. happen once, so yeah. we're just supposed to buy that. Uh, and for yeah. me, that it was poorly that makes done. the second half. That's like a strike against him. Yeah, um, I didn't like Stan's backstory thing of why he was so traumatized too. Was, is yeah, so goddamn poorly. random. Where he goes to a random house and he yeah. sees like a mummy and then that shook him for the rest of his life. That's all it took. That's all it took. Man. And Bill's yep. like, mummies are everywhere, bro. <laughs> it's inside of you. And then also I'll say the stop motion animation at the very end of the spider oh my God, was the reveal. worst dated looking shit I've the, seen I'm, I'm in a sorry, long time. I'm sorry, but and maybe that's in the book that he's like a giant spider or something, but at the end, that just seems so anticlimactic. I was yeah. like, dude, is he a kaiji? Yeah, basically. <laughs> I literally, that's when I was like, maybe this isn't as scary as I thought <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I was like, I don't even remember this being like that. Forgetting about the stop motion, it was the 90s, it's a TV show, okay, they couldn't afford it. It looks bad, It is pretty bad, but just to reveal and then... I'm gonna shoot the silver at him. Oh, I missed. Oh, what, where are you going? Are you gonna get, get the silver? I guess. Uh, yep. While everybody's like, 
there's nothing happening. You're not giving me anything here. It just seemed really. And then, okay, now we're just gonna kick him and stab him. That's gonna finish him off. Dude, I was that like, was such dude. a sorry ass fight. It's like they're punching a couch. And I'm like, dude, I was on? like, they fucking gang jumped him in. <laughs> yeah. And then after it was done, I was like, that was kind of a pretty anticlimactic. Like, because in the first f- part where they ended it, like that looked really good. Like, oh, yep. his face melted. He's just kind of like that was scary, and it, it they accom- it looked like they really accomplished something, and it's fine. And then when he does the just, flip into the little drain hole, right? Like that. That looked. <laughs> and like, they make okay. their fucking pinky promise to each other. Yeah. You could tell Stan He's was not into it. No, he was, Stan's like Stan was like the, he was the last one again. to be like, yeah, I'll come back. I was like, he's lying. <laughs> he's fucking lying. Would you guys? Here's another little quick question. Would you guys, if you guys were in a traumatic thing like that, would you guys like one of those kids? Would you go back thirty years later? Fuck no. no. You almost no. fucking killed him the first time. Why do you think you're gonna kill him the second time? As soon as they made that promise, I'd have been like, I get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened. They yeah. all got the fuck out of there. I was like, did you see that fucker's and eyes? Anyways, never died. Yeah, but overall, I get I like the first half better than the yeah. second half. Although the second half itself is not as bad. I think also one last thing I'm gonna add is that I think their lives as adults is just not as interesting. Not really. It's kind of cool that they yeah. showed that Mike is the one that remembered the most because he stayed in the town. Right. Mm-hmm. And that everybody else, they left and became super successful. Except for Beverly. Just kidding. <laughs> She's getting still beat up. I was like, what the fuck? Well, she's still successful. She's just in a shitty relationship. I do like, so tell think me about, about Mike it. though, because they don't even give him a lot. Obviously, as a kid, and then what they do give him as an adult, it's still a throwaway. Like I had a really dark period. I almost killed myself. I'm like, and moving on. Yep. I was like, whoa. That's did you guys think at first that thing? Mike? I know if you had never seen it, so you probably don't know. Did you think Mike was a cop at the beginning? I did initially, yeah, when you first see me it, too. Yeah, it was some kind of when I was a kid, cop. that's what I thought too. Yeah. And then I was like, "Why the fuck are they meeting in the library?" Yeah. And then I was like, "Oh, he's a fucking librarian." <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like, why is the guy like the, the chief told me not to have you around here? I'm like, did he get fired from the police academy? Or <laughs> I thought that was really random. Like they don't do a great job of saying, "Hey, I'm a librarian." They do a bad job with Mike's character. They don't even well. tell yeah. you that um, Stan is like a real estate agent or something. No. I, I didn't know. even know that. I I knew that because I looked it up. Yeah, yeah. You don't know That's a lot like... of their stuff. Like obviously, one dude becomes a comedian. Uh, Beverly's like into fashion. The other guy's a horror writer. John Ritter's character is a yeah, he's an architect. architect. Architect, yeah. So they all have really good jobs though, basically. But except except for Mike. Mike, no, he stays behind. He Mike stays. is the librarian. All right. So uh, last thoughts on it. I would say I'll go first here. That I I. I still enjoy the film overall. It has a lot of shortcomings. And I, I actually hope that a lot of these shortcomings are addressed in the new reboot of the film coming out this month. It. 2017. <laughs> so I'm hoping, from the look of it, it looks, and early reviews, it's been pretty positive. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I, um, I also liked the original too. I mean, despite the fact that it, it still has its issues, um, a lot of it has to do with nostalgia for me because I saw this movie when it first aired in 1990. It scared the shit out of me. And there are still some scenes that are pretty scary. Maybe I could tie them into my childhood. Maybe that's why they're still <laughs> scary to me. But um, it, it's still good. You know, I, again, you know, if you don't want to excuse the fact that it's a TV movie from the 90s, stream it for free. But if not, yeah, go ahead and give it a shot and rent it if you're willing to put in the three hours for it. I'll say right now, though, it is not available you anywhere stream to it. stream right now. So no. it was extremely it, hard to find this outside of using actual money. 
Yeah. So every once in a while it does though, because over a month ago it was available for free on demand. I wanted to say oh, yeah. I remember it at least on Netflix, maybe or yeah. Amazon something. Yeah. A couple months ago, but as you know, as soon as a new film comes out, they want you to. Yeah. So it'll be a little but bit before it comes pay. on streaming yeah. again. But I, I'm excited for the new one as well too. I, I've also heard good things about it. I've also heard that uh, Stephen King, the horror master himself, has been quoted as saying that. He was not prepared for how scary the movie was, and to the point that he even saw the movie twice. Yeah, he oh, also so. said the Dark Tower was good. Well, <laughs> maybe the cut that he saw before he came out of theaters. True, this is true. Let's tell Margo, I can't trust anything these goddamn directors or writers <laughs> say, man. He's like, it's pretty damn good. You guys should check it out. I'm like, yeah, because you got royalties from this shit. Yeah, probably. and he's not going to bash his own work. But I mean, what if Stephen King is like, eh, it's okay. Yeah, right. he's like, it's worth a watch. Yeah, he's like, uh, if you have a fucking afternoon, I'd red box it. Like, whoa. So it's not sleepwalkers, but. Uh... <laughs> you guys see Pet Cemetery? Fuck. <laughs> uh, sorry, Nabil, we were taking away from you. But... I don't know. I mean, I pretty much said it earlier. Um, I think it's worth the watch of your horror fan. Um, not necessarily something that you need to want to have to watch the original to see the new one or have to run out to see it because it's a cult classic because I really don't think it's anything of that standard. You probably get more scarce of the book itself um, or maybe the new movie. But definitely, you know, if you are a horror fan, like I said, worth the watch because um, really Tim Curry's performance and how scary he really was in that film that really just kind of held the character um on that pedestal that, of Pennywise being a scary clown and getting a lot of clowns out of business because of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that is our review of Stephen King's It. And that is the end of the podcast here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, once again, please leave us some feedback. Um, we have been getting responses. Uh, I, we've noticed that we've been getting reviews coming in. We really thank everybody for that. Um, Marco, can you tell them how to reach us there? Yeah, you guys can reach us at our Facebook at facebook.com slash moviepalspod or tweet at us at moviepalspod. Uh, retweet us if you see any of our uh, tweets on there. Uh, share us. Um, and please, as James said, leave us a review on uh, iTunes or even on, uh, even on our Facebook. Yeah, and like we said previously as well, we do have our giveaway from Waterfront Comics. So please leave us a topic. Our next pod, we will not have Mr. Nabil here with us. He's going away. I'm going on vacation away from everybody here. We're very saddened by this. So, I don't know. He may or may not have a spot when he gets back. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Let's hope that third chair doesn't get filled by we someone. We may use a like replicant <laughs> to replace him. So Yeah, so everybody, we were going to act, act like Nabil never left and use an <laughs> accent two weeks from now, but... Me and Marco tried it for a little bit. It, it just doesn't work out. So, Very so we person. we just let you know we may have a guest host on our next one here. Not sure yeah. yet. It's to be announced. It is TBD. But I do. We do know what's the next film we're going to talk about here. We're going to be going over the new It movie. Ooh, scary. Yep. So from the looks of it, like we said, it does look good. So until next time, this is James and Marco and Bill, and have a good one. See you.